Welcome to another episode of Sweet Valley Online. This week we're discussing Sweet Valley Twins number 48, Mandy Miller Fights Back. I'm Raven, and I am bald. I'm here with my not-so-evil twins, Wing and Dove. I'm Dove, and Mandy Miller is the best thing ever. I'm Wing, and I'm still speechless over Raven talking about being bald. Really? Well, Mandy's bald by the end of it. I get that, but it was not what I was expecting. And yes, spoilers. (laughs) You are quite a furry man. Like, you're basically Hobbit-like. Thanks. That's a a good start there. Yeah, cheers. (laughs) Just get straight in there with the personal attacks. Thanks very much. That could have been a compliment. In what way is you're a furry man? You're basically Hobbit-like. Some people love the Hobbits. And yes, I mean some sexually. people. Some people. At best, that was saying that your your attraction is niche. <laughs> I, I like our cats. They're furry. And hobbits do a lot of eating and I like food. So that's a thing. This is not helping in any way. Love you. Love you too. Mandy Miller is a weirdo. She dresses in oddball clothes and tells somewhat inappropriate jokes. Her dream? To be a unicorn. Sadly, according to the Grand Poobar of the Unicorn Council, even though Mandy has an amazing waist-length hair, she just isn't classic unicorn material. Nevertheless, Mandy does her utmost to be recruited to the cabal of Purple Bellends via errand running and being a general dog's body. Jessica is her favourite vehicle for such fawning, and Lila decrees that Jess should be the one to tell her to fuck the fuck off. The problem? Jessica actually likes her. While their friendship grows over a social studies report and contest, Jessica finally crushes Mandy's dreams. At first, Mandy's pissed off and her anger shows, but once she's cooled down, Mandy tells Jessica she's fine, as she knows the unicorns have made an error in refusing her membership. Jessica, for once seeing her unichums as the snobby bitches they so evidently are, actually agrees with her. And life appears to continue apace, albeit with Jessica coolly keeping the unicorns at arm's length. Then, Mandy gets motherfucking cancer. That's right, ladies and gents. Sweet Valley Twins tackles the big C. Everyone is horrified by the entire situation. Everyone except Mandy, who keeps a wonderfully funny and brave face on the whole affair. The unicorns, weirdly, completely ignore the entire situation at first and don't mention Mandy to Jessica at all, despite the whole school being abuzzed with the news. Jessica is angry, but then she discovers the unicorns have sent Mandy flowers. Apparently, now Mandy has cancer, she's much more interesting, which proves that the old X-Factor sob story can work wonders on a person's reputation. This book does a fine job of dispelling some rather ludicrous myths about the big C. Mandy and Jessica's project wins a computer for the school, with Elizabeth's help. The unicorns befriend Mandy in her hour of need, and eventually ask her to join their ranks. They even buy her a wonderful wig to help her with her chemotherapy, which means Lila's money is finally being used for something more than decorations, diamonds and dildos. To conclude, Mandy is awesome, the unicorns are actually quite nice dicks, and Jessica appears to have learned something by the end of the book. Overall, a success. Yay! Yay! Well, that was a delightful summary. Yes, I, to be honest, I thought it was a delightful book. I I did as well, and also I give major kudos for Team Grapplegate just going with the cancer is cool 
uh, storyline for the unicorns because uh, I think books, a lot of books of that era would have just gone, oh, she's dying. Oh, fuck. I'd better be nice to her in case she dies and haunts me. Um, whereas the unicorns are just like, cancer, that is so cool. She could die. Let's go and be nice to her. It's very true to the unicorns. Like, I know that Amy uses them, but uh, in the aftermath of the fire, they are again interested. So they do like these sort of things. Also, isn't this the era of, who was that author? Uh, Lurleen McDaniel or McDaniel or something like that. She was this huge author here that did basically cancer book after cancer book after cancer oh. book. Dead teens in love, dead teens in love, dead teens in love. I didn't read most Men's of them. Men's boat is a flower boat. But I definitely remember people talking about them and they had kind of this aesthetic to the covers where they all look similar with her the author's name was in this specific script and the colors were the same. So you could definitely see them standing out on the shelf and they were such a huge thing here. I think it was around the same time. So it's even more refreshing to see this from Grapplegate. I think I've read some of those. Like if, if you are unfortunate enough to lose a parent at a young age and you like books, you get given a fuckload of books about dead teenagers because dead parents wasn't weirdly wasn't covered then like I, I guess my dad died just at the right era to give me a load of fucking irrelevant books um because the dead parent trope is all over the place everywhere else uh but at the precise moment when I was lacking a father it was nothing but dra- tragic dead teenagers and so I think I've read one of them because I I seem to remember the one that I read or the one that stuck with me is you know the teenager Meg died tragically and heroically with a brave smile on her face, like everyone did in the late 80s, early 90s. But their last memory is apparently this song. I don't know whether it was just made up for the book or whether it's just big in America, but Name's Boat is a thing that Name likes. So Wing's Boat is a werewolf boat. Dove's Boat is a Sweet Valley boat. Raven's Boat is a... Furry Hobbit boat. (laughs) She said something you like, Raven. Uh, You know, and that was their thing. And I just remember just wanting to rip it to pieces, like being really angry with the boat, uh, the book, for being so pure and earnest. And I was just like, fuck off! Dove's boat is a sweary boat. (laughs) You know, I know this website that does nostalgic book reviews and recaps that are generally very snarky and tear things apart. I just can't quite think of a name. They might be interested. Fine, you find me that fucking book, so I'm not reading them until you've skimmed it down for me. Well, I mean, maybe based on that song, but otherwise that sounds like literally every book I've heard of in that situation, so I'm going to need you to give me a little more. I'm going to have to pull you up on one thing about that, um, saying that the our site and podcast seem to be about um, recapping snarky, snarkly books about that we've been reading lately. Basically, what, we, what we're doing in this podcast and in the past two is, is so far, not speaking about the books at all. <laughs> Actually, I specifically meant the recaps on Nostalgic Bookshelf, but that's a fair point, because we... <laughs> and what's funny is we even like this book, or at least so we've said, and yet here we yeah. go off on this adventure. I think we, we're slightly, slightly still on track, because we're just highlighting 
books that we didn't like that tackled the same subject and why we didn't like them. Yes. Now let's get back on track by listing what we liked about this one. There's a smooth segue. That was beautifully done. Mandy Miller. I liked Mandy Miller a lot. I kind of love her. If she was an adult, I think I'd be in love with her. She's delightful. Yeah, Mandy was great. Uh, She feels like a first draft of Nina Geiger. Do you Mm. not think? I can Slight, see that. Odd clothing, slightly wacky sense of humour, funnier than pretty much everybody else in the book. So I like her. I could definitely see that. Listeners, if you're not familiar, uh, Nina is Dove's favourite character from a book series called Making Out, which is also by Team Grapplegate under their actual names. Actually, Nina might be one of my favourite characters ever. That's that's not like... All right. Put a caveat on this. She's right up there with... Uh, Joy from My Name is Earl. So we like Nina Geiger, that's fine. I mean, I've not read the Making Out series, but I will have to take a little umbrage in that, in that saying that, oh, she's the first draft of Nina Geiger. No, 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 no. Nina Geiger is a follow-on from Mandy Miller. <laughs> that's, all right, okay, that's fair. I will, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, we like Mandy a lot, and you could sort of tell that the uh, the ghosties were writing it, writing Mandy's character with a lot of love and having a lot of fun with her, which is obviously why they said, oh, she was cool to write. Let's reinvent her and write her again in another series. Yeah. Thematically, I think she's the type of character that they both like to write and write really well. Because uh, I think that's sort of a little bit off kilter, a little bit, uh, her humor is a little off of what everyone else is. That comes up in a number of their books with some of the best characters. So I do think that thematically, that's something they do. And possibly it all stems back to Mandy Miller, I don't know of anything prior to this that they wrote characters like that necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying that the humour is off kilter. It sort of is, but it, I think the, the actual way I'd, I'd describe it is the her humour is actually funny. Yeah. Because uh, it's not necessarily off kilter. It's not like, you know, making s- jokes that are weird. You know what I mean? It's making jokes that are funny and almost almost sort of formulaically funny, you know, almost what you'd expect to be funny but actually funny, which is why it's off-kilter and weird for most most of these books, because the fun, the funny characters and the funny jokes in these books and books of this ilk, I've found tend to, it, the humour tends to be almost an informed attribute. It's like, I will tell a joke and somebody, you are then told that somebody is laughing at that joke. Yeah. So that's when you go, oh, well, that's funny, rather than them just giving you the joke and you laughing yourself and making that you know that that leap yourself. So that's why Mandy's good. That's one of the reasons why Mandy's good. I like the uh, one of the other reasons that I like Mandy is that she's very abrupt um, about various things. Um, when she's talking to Jess about the cancer, um, and it, it's quite a down a down scene because obviously it's through Jess's eyes and Jess's reaction. But she's quite matter of fact, even though that she's quite um, tired and not her ebullient self, if you like. But she's still like, yes, here's what it is. Here's what's going on. Yes, well, this thing will happen. And she's quite, she's not in the doldrums about it, which is great. Yeah, even when she, after she's had chemotherapy and she's lost her hair, 
<laughs> and then she later phones Jessica to tell her that about the wig. Yeah, that her mother's yeah. got um, a little orphan Annie wig, which yeah. Mandy's got long dark hair all the way to her hips, and she's never had it cut since she was a baby, and it's always remarked on in the story. So her hair was a really big deal, and for it to be placed with replaced with ugly red nylon curls has just kind of broken Mandy's heart, and she phones Jessica. And is crying and also laughing at the same time because it's like it's so bad, it, it's hysterical, but it's also so bad that she's really sad that mm. she's lost her hair, and that's kind of what provokes uh, Jessica and Co to go and buy her a nice wig. And I also like the fact that Jessica's slightly worried that they're going to aff- uh, offend Mandy's mum yeah. by chipping in and buying an expensive wig, like they're stepping on her toes or they're insulting her ability to provide for her daughter and things like that so it's actually a whole nice whole blowing scene for all the dickery in this series and in this book um the unicorns come out of this quite well i thought by the end because um they did sort of they bought flowers for for mandy and they didn't tell jessica or get her to sign the card and that was a bit of a jessica was like what the fuck's going on there why not you know, you're the one who made me tell her not to that she couldn't be a unicorn, which was them being a dick. But when they explained that, it was like, well, we didn't get you involved because because you were the one who told her not to be a unicorn. You could, she couldn't be a unicorn, and therefore we thought it might be awkward. Um, and I can sort of see their logic there. It's dick logic, but it's it's not vindictive logic, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and by the end of the book, when they sort of yes, they do do the whole. Amy's house burnt down. Oh, she's suddenly a fascinating thing. But I think this time it feels more genuine. The fact that they visit her in that capacity, in in that capacity, because this um, poor brave girl with cancer is suddenly the most interesting thing in the world. But then they get to know her. And she is funny. And she is cool. And then they go, well, actually, yeah, she, she, she could be a unicorn. And that's, I think that comes from a genuine liking of her rather than a Billy Layton. Oh, yeah, Billy's won a few trophies. Or a Amy. Oh, let's hang around Amy because her house is burning down thing. So, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed the unicorns and liked the unicorns by the end of this book in this. It actually, it probably never occurred to them, but they really ought to get members that they actually like rather than just pretty ones because they invited Grace Oliver to join. We haven't seen her since the bully, so clearly she's not made that much of an impact on their lives. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely forgot Grace who Oliver? she was. <laughs> yeah, she's... Remember the Improbable Cave where yes. uh, Dennis Cookman had to go in? What, were the, what, what, what was the case that I mentioned again? <laughs> It's okay, someone out there has made a blueprint. I don't know who they are, but given the nerdery that exists in this world, yeah. someone has. They just oh, need to yeah, send she was it the, to oh. me. Yeah, she was the girl yeah, she was the, the girl one who, who, who befriended. Yeah, gave him oh. a half a sandwich or shared a sandwich with him. and right. then made Because him... it was part of her initiation. Exactly. But she actually befriended. I remember her now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. She's not appeared since, has she? Also, she was in the... Uh, the big camp secret and it was her parents that were getting divorced and she actually became bffs with barbara 
Oh, was that Grace as well? Yeah, but you wouldn't know that she was a unicorn okay. because she really comes across as like Team Boring's BFF. I mean, like Sad People, a kind of Team Boring's remit. Um, mm. Daughters of rock stars are more unicorn fodder. Which is why Brooke Dennis is such an enigma. Yes. I love Brooke so much. I want Brooke and Mandy to be friends and hang out and do all sorts of adventures. It's interesting. You're talking about how before she didn't really seem like a a unicorn, and you're right. I remember all those things that happened in the stories, both the befriending the bully and the whole camp uh, befriending kind of a bully again because of the divorced parents. I definitely do not remember her being a unicorn until you say something. So that's, you're right. It's weird that they invite these people and then they just kind of disappear. Actually, I find it weird that they're inviting so many people in the first place. Way back in book one, wasn't this supposed to be this huge deal? And they were only the same number in as people who were graduating out. And it was a gigantic thing to have so many sixth graders. And now it's like every other book, they're adding a new unicorn. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was explicitly stated that the rule was one in, one out, but there was definitely an implication because when Jessica joined, someone else was joining because obviously Jessica had murdered Roberta Manning and buried her in the McCandy backyard. So Jessica was replacing someone. And was it Mary Giaccio that was replacing Roberta Manning or was it? Betsy. Mm. Like Betsy, who we've literally Can't never remember. met. Tamara. Who is she? Like, there are so many unicorns that really don't matter. It's basically Lila, Ellen, Janet, bunch of other names if you don't want one of the main three to talk. Well, I mean, there's also, uh, well, crap, now I just blanked on her name. Not because of her, because I'm Mary. Mary pops up a lot. And occasionally they'll talk about uh, Belinda missing. <laughs> meetings because she's off winning trophies which i thought was ridiculous until raven pointed out that of course (laughs) they let her do that she's winning them trophies yeah i mean i think we all have a little bit more love and the the writers also must have a little bit more love for the ones that we've actually saw their unicorn origin stories of when it's just like tamara chase or whoever it is it's they've always been unicorns they're just wandering around in the background and you know you know whatever whatever that's unicorn business you know it's 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 when we've seen them go from zero to hero in the purple milieu if you know what i mean then then they will hark back to them every now and then yeah i mean even i don't know who betsy is i just know that she's listed as a member of the unicorns i literally have no clue what grade she's in what her surname is I know it's on our site, but even... I'm just thinking of Betty DeVos, but that's uh, someone in the Trump administration, <laughs> I believe. So. not. Well, like, so I guess she could have been a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, well. And it's not Betsy Martin, because she doesn't exist yet. That's Stop giving us weird spoilers. Betsy Gordon! <laughs> that's it. I also find it weird that there's two Betsys in this series. That seems yeah. like a weird choice to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. So clearly they forgot Betsy Gordon existed too. Yeah, 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 that sounds about right. I think she's called Dee Dee in, in Sweet Valley High. Oh, interesting. She's got a different name. I think so, because if her surname's Gordon and her brother's a drummer, yeah, I get the feeling that she's Dee Dee by the time Sweet Valley High rolls around. Or it could just be that it's gone midnight and I'm fucking tired and I'm talking bullshit. Well, that's it possible. It could be the fact that she's like, no, no, I've gone to high school now. I'm not Betsy, I'm now Dee Dee. 
Okay, you know, I guess I can't falter that. I'm Obsidian Blackbird McKnight, and I'll go. <laughs> okay, Raven. <laughs> That's actually a thing that happens. There's a girl called Enid in Sweet Valley High, and she's Alex in Sweet Valley College or University. You know what? Okay. I would probably go drop the name Enid to you, to be honest. That's <laughs> not a name that I think I could Vaguely like with. penis. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to say was that I loved how the unicorn, like when you first see that the unicorns are leaving Jessica out of things, it does look very vindictive, petty unicorn nonsense. Oh, yeah. she's kind of kind of smacked them down a couple times because she's spending so much time with Mandy and she doesn't tell them that that's what she's doing, but she does keep telling them that she has something more important to do. So it comes across as, yeah, they're punishing her for that. But then to see that they really do mean that they thought it would be awkward. And yeah, it's kind of shit logic, but it is logic. I loved that. Like they weren't just being petty over this, which I would have believed too, but they were trying to do something right, even if they fucked it up. Yeah, because the, the first time I, I read it, I really did read it as, oh, Mandy's got cancer. She's so cool. We're not sharing her with you because you've been a dick, Jessica. Exactly. I mean, it's weird because uh, I like the way Jessica thinks in that one because she's seeing it from the side that the reader sees it from. And, oh, these are being dicks. They're, you know, they're, they're doing this, doing that. They're, they're planning all these things and cutting me out of them in order to make me feel bad. And that sort of gives the unicorns a little more forward planning and intelligence that perhaps they've got. A little more <laughs> consideration for other people. It's like, right, let's literally fuck over Jessica. It's like, yeah, I understand that they're dicks, but I don't think they really give a toss <laughs> that much, if you know what I mean. It's, it's like, it's like, it's like conspiracy theories. It's like people who've got all these massive conspiracy theories about the government. Uh, you know, and it's like, oh, the government they planned nine eleven, and blah, blah blah, they did this and that, uh, or the moon landings were, were were faked, and there's been a conspiracy all this time about you know everyone's everyone's keeping it quiet, and it's like really, this is the same government who can't run a piss up in a brewery every other time you talk about them. You think that for thirty years they're going to have kept that quiet? I'm like, yeah, that's a much more competent government than any government has ever been. Yeah, just, you know, you're giving them far too much credence if you think they can pull off that massive thing. And that's the same with the unicorns. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah, they don't really care that much about your love. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just they're just going about their business. They're just goldfish, aren't they? They're just reacting. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> They've got no past, no future. They're just right there in those three seconds that are happening. I think that this can, uh, these unicorns are my favourite unicorns. The unicorns, they always seem to have the same... They always do the same thing. They always do this, we are following what the cool thing is, and we're just going to get involved in that. Now, it's hard to pitch the unicorns as an interesting group if their main thing is that they're vapid and shallow, because the unicorns are the mainstay of the series, and there's 180-odd books or whatever it is, not including whatever. There's millions of them. And the main thing we know about the book that the the unicorns is they all get together and talk about boys and and shoes and shopping and stuff like that that's the thing they are vapid and they're snobs and that's not 180 odd books worth of content i'm afraid (laughs) that's gonna get very very boring very very quickly so it doesn't surprise me that there's quite a bit of repetition in what the stuff that they do um because the, the, the writers have been sort of forced into it it's like okay what can this bunch of idiots really do that it 
that was still being character with them that is a bit more interesting than talking about shoes. And it sort of reminded me of like um, being written into a corner. I like the way that the the writers of the Superman comics were written into a corner with Superman because they gave him all these really cool powers and he was basically indestructible. And then it's like, okay, well, it, there's no drama in that anymore. When we write about that, he's just gonna Superman's just gonna win because he's so powerful. So they had to invent a thing that you know could damage him, and it was all very odd. And that sort of that sort of made me think of the unicorns getting sort of almost typecasting what they can and can't do. But my two favourite types of unicorns are the unicorns is when they are reveling in in that sort of vapid stuff, and we we see them talking about who their favourite having meetings about who their favourite soap star is and yes we had a what we we, we had a uh, we had we had a vote to see if we should change the unicorn's colour to red instead of purple and stuff <laughs> like that and that's brilliant. I really enjoyed that. But these are my probably my favourite types of unicorns the unicorns in this book in that they can still be dicks but do nice things. Because that gives me my favourite Lila when she's doing a wonderful thing and then, you know, they're all going out to buy to, to buy um, Mandy a wig, but she can still be snarky and she can still have a few digs and be a little bit, a little bit of a dick, a, a little bit shit. And that's great. That's That gives you that, the character of Lila to a T. So, yeah, they're the unicorns I like. So, yeah, they're they, 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 uh, very successful in this book, I thought. One of the things I really liked, and maybe this changes in the future, and I don't want to know if it does, Jeff, is that unlike when Belinda joins the unicorns, yeah, she still plays sports, but she has changed her name and started dressing different, and she just very much starts to fall into a different kind of person. And, yeah, some of that's tied to the family weirdness going on with her new brother taking her name and all of that. But with, have Mandy, another Billy. <laughs> but with Mandy, because they have latched onto her for the interesting aspect of the cancer and then got to know her and really like her, she gets to say who she is. Weird uh, secondhand clothes and sense of humor and everything. And I love that about it. And I really don't want that to change later. So I kind of, I'd almost rather not see her again than see her just become another background unicorn. But I loved it here. As far as I know, Mandy remains perfectly awesome. Excellent. As I've said, one of my favourite books coming up is Poor Lila. And I will stab either of you if you if you try and recap it, because it's mine. Um, but yeah, she has one of my favourite lines in the series, and I can actually remember it uh, from the first time I read it when I was a tween. And I'm not going to spoil it now. And also, I feel like I've built it up too much, but... For a not very well written, not particularly witty series, for a line to stay with you since you're about 12 is, you know, it gives me a smirk. That is kind of impressive. It's a Mandy line, of course, because she's awesome. Was that one written by Grapplegate? It wasn't, no. Um, whoever did write it is as good as Grapplegate because it is one of the sassiest books there is. It's just ridiculous fun, so... That's really interesting because I feel like the only ghostwriters you have really identified as good are our team Grapplegate. And it's kind of felt like before and after it was just kind of shitty. So I like that there's not just them. So I know we're, we're probably coming up on the end of their run fairly soon, aren't we? I think so, yeah. I will say that I did enjoy whoever the ghostie was for the older boy. And I think they also yeah. did jump into the conclusions. I don't know, but I think there's a few books that I've went, I think that was 
the writer that I really liked. The writing would be interesting if we could. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I've got you know high hopes for certain you know books. Uh, hopefully, they'll they'll they will hit the heights again, which is good. I think touching back on what you were saying about um, Mandy remaining Mandy, I think she sort of has to be because um, Grapplegate sort of cemented that in this book quite clearly, quite early on when Jessica was like, oh, I know, I've got a good idea so I can be seen with this weird oddball and offers to lend her the green and white striped top. Said, oh, you'd look wonderful in the green and white striped top if you'd like to borrow it. And Mandy goes very quiet and then goes, no, thank you, in a very subdued voice and then comes out with a little monologue that says, my style is my own. I realised a long time ago that I'd never be able to afford the clothes that you and the other unicorns wear and to be honest, I wouldn't want to dress like that and I think I look cool, and I'm dressing how I want, and I want you to respect me for that. And Jessica was, well, yeah. Although she she was still like, oh, well, you look a bit weird. She had to, I think the line was, um, she had to admit that she did have a, a style of her own. And I think that's brilliant. I think that's great. That sets her up as a, a very strong character and a very self-aware character. And I think if in the future she was to get that sort of, Let's dip her in the bloody the white the 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 the, uh, the wash of of background unicorns and just have her in the background going yeah I'm wearing purple la da 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 then that would do a disservice to what she's written as now so thank you Grapplegate for for establishing that she's not that kind of unicorn I think um, Grapplegate have done really well to establish that Mandy dresses quite uniquely and is you know full on sassy. Because uh, I can remember another um, book. I can't remember what she was wearing, but it was something like, you know, Mandy was dressed uniquely, as always, wearing a man's dress uh, pants with T-shirt from the local amusement park or, you know, and a top hat. You know, if even if they don't describe everybody else, they always like take a moment to linger on Mandy and also add that she's pulling it off with style. So it's not just like oh, look, we've got a tw- uh, 12-year-old version of Mr. Bowman. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, Mandy Mandy can rock this look and any other look. She re- the way you just described that reminds me of uh, Claudia Kishi from <laughs> the Babysitter's Club. She just that idea, like it's in. Thank you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just that idea that they wear these weird clothes, but they really pull it off. That kind of phrase pops up a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had two thoughts. One is actually book-related and the one's back to the ghostwriter. So I'll do the book-related one first. Uh, We talked a little bit about how Jessica's doing things for good reasons and and really showing caring for other people, even in still being true to herself. And it kind of feels like, even though we talk in a lot of books about how she's learned a lesson in this book, but it won't pick up in the next book, Hmm. uh, even though that does seem to happen, overall it feels like this Jessica is different from Jessica book one and two and three that that Jessica never would have gotten to this point. And this Jessica was like, yeah, okay, this is a thing that we do. So even if very clear individual lessons are dropped after the end of one book, they want to pick up in the same spot with the next. It does seem like the characters are growing a little as the series goes, which is weird for a series that has sweet Valley time. Yeah. Yeah. It is it's been a weird sort of run because like you had really sweet mature Jessica who loved Whiskers the Seal. And then we had uh let's all shame Jessica with Mademoiselle Jessica. And then it was like 
Jessica's a vapid little twat who we all want to punch in her glass-wearing face with that, Jessica's that turns into you. a specky git. And then we come to this. It, it's been a really funny run for Jessica. And I can only assume this came from above because Grapplegate tend to have a much more sensible flow to their character arcs rather than good, bad, 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 good, bad. You know, it's That's it's true. really scattergun, this, this, if you just look at Jessica's journey over the last past, I don't know, six books or whatever, and then you read anything else by them, and, uh, you know, they're foreshadowing four books in advance, and you just think, someone came up with this outline and thought it was genius. Well, do we know how the ghostwriting works for sure? Like, did they do all of this big run of books or do they have, because the books were published so quickly, do they have story one with this set of ghostwriters and story two with this ghostwriter so that it's going back and forth? Or did, have they talked about doing this full run? Um, I think it wasn't perfectly clear, but it sort of was implied that it was a full run because, uh, because it was the two of them. But other ghosties who have come forward have gone, oh, yeah, you know, I did one and then I did three books later. And, sure. You know, two other people, we were all tag teaming it. So that's why you, you generally get this erratic <laughs> continuity. Uh, whereas this, I don't know for certain, but uh, from what Michael Grant said, it felt like they, they did a run of about 17 mm-hmm. to 19, I think. He couldn't remember which. It makes sense that with two authors that you wouldn't necessarily pull them off of the in-between books or whatever. Like two authors, especially two authors that clearly write well together, they could pull off more than, oh, we have to give this to Ghostwriter A and this to B because no way can they write a book a month or whatever. So Yeah. Mm. The other thing I wanted to say about Ghostwriters is that surely someone somewhere has broken whatever the code is and figured out which ghostwriters will wrote which books for sweet Valley. Like with the babysitters club, there is generally common knowledge that if the book thanks a specific person at the beginning, that's the ghostwriter. So surely there's something somewhere where someone has figured out at least most of the ghostwriters of the series. I would really love to see that. If so. Wow. Yeah. So where you are reading the Babysitter's Club, we're not to the ghostwriters yet, but keep an eye out for, I think it's this book thanks or this book's dedicated to or something. There's a, a name in there and that's usually who the ghostwriter is. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know we've got the ghost in the bell tower, which is actually dedicated to Catherine Applegate, which made me go, okay, who is it? And I kind of tweeted it and tagged them both in kind of like fishing and they both went, well, aren't you like an investigative investigative little mouse? And I was like, all right, give me my cookie. Tell me who wrote it. But um, obviously they didn't. They just, just liked my post and uh, moved on with their lives because it was 30 years ago and only we care this much. <laughs> that is clearly not true. We have readers and listeners who care this much. Or more. Um, I w- so next time they go on tour, one of them or both of them, 
one of us needs to be there and ask this question in person. Maybe not in the big group, but when you have something signed, ask that question. I'll try to keep it in mind because yeah, I That's want the to fan, know now. The, the fan of the Star Trek convention going in episode thirty-three. <laughs> you, you said that they had this warp coil projector thing, but in episode thirty-four, the warp coil wasn't invented. And blah 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 blah. What's what's this? What's all this data? Ah. Except what we're really asking is who loved you enough to dedicate a book to you because that's amazing. <laughs> mm, true, true. Going back to Jessica in um, this one and the, the fact that they, we think that she's learned learned something and the characters have developed. I I I do think that it, it is written in that way. However, I think that this book is another riff on the usual theme that they have where there's a new girl in Sweet Valley. Even though she's not a new girl in Sweet Valley, she's a new girl in the cent- in the circle of friends. And earlier on, in, earlier on in the series, Jessica was the one that was driving the the shit that was being foisted on the new girls. So, although this one is the first one where it's like, oh no, I can see that this you know that she's awesome and that everyone else isn't giving her a chance because there's such a rich vein of of Sweet Valley twins. Um, material the new girl i'm sure there'll be more oh it's another new girl arriving in school later on in the run and i'm pretty sure that we won't have this cooler jessica for those books i'm sure too though i would guess at least in part because we don't see a ton of jessica actually interacting with the new girl we just see her bullying or judging the new girl whatever because even here and in the previous couple of books because there has been some foreshadowing she's treated mandy as this nuisance or someone to use to do stuff for them and it's only in this book that we get to see her actually have to spend time with her so yeah unless she spends time with the new girls or the new kids though she probably treated boy different uh i don't think we're gonna see any change it'll just be typical jessica you're right yeah yeah she did spend time with um which was the new girl with the dicky heart pamela jacobson pamela she spent time with her and they got in, they got on quite well. Exactly, like when she's forced. Yeah, it's into just these a shame scenarios. that you know she she died of an exploding heart <laughs> because if she can't do a walking race, I'm still not sure how the fuck oh. she does a race in a in a what's the word wheelchair wheelchair yeah. So I reckon she's I've got a thing dead. Now. Oh, I've I've got a theory. I think that Jessica's getting to know somebody. Oh, they're actually really nice. Oh, that's lovely. We're friends now. And then at the end of the book, we never see them again. I think that that happens in a number of books, but one of the most recent ones that's happened in is Whiskers. Whiskers is the new girl for that book. It's like, I hate animals. I hate dogs. Oh, look, there's a seal. Oh, I'm going to get to know the seal. Oh, we love the seal. Don't die, Whiskers. You're my favourite seal. And then release the seal into the wild and gone. So all of the new girls that that happens to that we don't see again are basically seals. I thought you were actually going to say that Jessica was kind of doing the opposite of Elizabeth. Because you know how Elizabeth falls in love with the new girl and becomes her second best friend and is added to her writing entourage. 
Yes. I thought you were going to suggest that Jessica was doing the same thing, but then got incredibly awkward because there's only so so many slots open in the unicorns. And, you know, a popular girl can only hang out with so many people who aren't unicorns. And so she's just killing them off and burying them in the candy backyard, whereas Elizabeth is doing the right thing and keeping them as backup friends for when Amy turns into a bitch again. And I thought he was going with because, you know, first there was the friend that she made that has a heart problem and apparently died after the wheelchair race and then there was mandy who gets cancer that she's a witch and she's just cursing people left (laughs) right and center or accidentally because she's using too much magic they're getting the fallout that's why she keeps them around could be can i just say that use of elizabeth's writing entourage has made me look at them now as like some sort of gangster rap troupe (laughs) turning up at a, a festival like 50 of them with all these riders just rocking into the room and but it would be the Christian rap version, like uh, old school Christian rap, very badly done. Yeah, I'm an ima- I am imagining them all in pristine trainers that have never touched grass, no stains on them at all, <laughs> clipboards and matching ponytails. Beautiful. Nice. So a couple of things that did wind me up about this book. Mm-hmm. Well, the first one was um well it's i guess it's sort of the b plot although the a plot and the a plot and the b plot are quite well intertwined in this book i thought of the um the the social studies project that and contest that miss arnett hairnet was running and jessica and um mandy get paired together i must say that as a little aside the fact that Mandy was the only one who wanted to pair with Jessica yeah, was actually really good because she was like, Jessica's like, oh, I'm popular. And Elizabeth was basically saying, yeah, you are popular, Jessica, but you've got a reputation for being proper flaky in school and nobody wants to have their grade depend on you. Um, I thought that was really well done. You know, I thought that was really, really well done. Uh, but anyway, going back to what I was uh, actually saying, they, they get paired together and they do that vaudeville act and that's lovely and everyone has to throw in their uh, you know all the pairs have to throw in their own um, project but they have a week to do this project because there's a a contest where all the schools in the was it nationwide i thought it was more local maybe california wide but maybe well, maybe california wide okay we'll take it as california wide all all the schools california wide were told to, all the middle schools were told in pairs to send projects and two of them were going to be chosen to be showcased at this thing and what wound me up about it was well the first one jessica mentioned we've only got a week to do this why have we only got a week to do this and it's because mrs arnett and zarnett has got it well i've got to get them back and mark them before and everything and it's like no you've only got a week to do this because you didn't read your fucking emails did you love you just you just you got the memo and you went ah fuck it and then a week ago what should we do for me lesson plan i'll have a look Oh shit! I best get this done. Oh, put the gin down. Get out there and get that in. It's like <laughs> the staff at that school are fucking useless. Well, this all came about because Ms. Weiler pre- uh, proposed gin break Mondays, and then yeah. that went so well they extended it to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Basically, yeah. it's gin twenty four seven at that school. That doesn't surprise me at all. So Alice volunteers a lot then because she yes. enjoys that yes. part. No she's on the PTA. well the other thing that wound me up um i got that when mandy couldn't do it because of the obvious illness um and the deadlines that they had 
then Elizabeth did step in and I saw that, oh yeah, they're twins and you know, that would make a quite cool vaudeville looking thing, I guess. Um, but what really wound me up is Jessica and Mary came first and then Elizabeth and Amy came second. So the two that won California wide were those two. Yeah. And Elizabeth basically came first and second. Because she ended up being in both. And that's like, yeah, fuck off. Have someone from Big Mesa come second. I understand having Jessica and um, Mandy winning. Because their vaudeville thing was really cool. And Mandy wrote some good jokes. The the, the purple unicorn sneakers joke that they had was actually a really funny sort of vaudeville style joke. It was, you know, it, it worked as a joke and it worked as a pastiche of that style of joke, which is great. So... You know, having them win is great, but having in, in Amy and bloody team boring, yeah, team boring. Oh yeah, we've we've written a report about silent films. It's like fuck off. Who gives a shit? I definitely don't think a report on silent films is going to win anyway. That just no, that, especially when you've got stuff like the vaudeville campaign. Like they're not the only ones who came up with something clever and fun. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. a report is just no. <laughs> I will. I will say that. When I was reading it, even though it was wound up, I did sort of go, well, all right. When they did mention that they were going to show the report on silent films and have it tied in to a little exhibition on silent films they were having. And I'm like, okay. They sort of said, oh, you're doing a silent film thing. We're doing a silent film thing as well. That's a perfect fit. <laughs> so I can, uh, at first fair. I was like, well, okay, that that's fair. They've, they've got lucky there. But then I thought, they haven't got lucky. I reckon what's happened there is bloody Elizabeth's gone. All right, what what do you reckon they'll need? Let's have a look. Let's 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 go to the library and see what. Oh, oh they're doing a silent film. We'll do ours on silent films as well because that means we'll get in there and we'll we'll uh, we'll win a prize. I would like Elizabeth a lot more if that's how she came across. Kind of manipulative and yeah. diving into scheming. that sort of research, yeah. scheming. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah, I would like that Elizabeth a ton more. Yeah, if she was manipulatively clever. Rather than just like, yeah. Jessica, like yeah. just skipping along, being a saint, and oh gosh, <laughs> I'm so perfect. I accidentally lucked onto the thing that they wanted most. I guess I'm just right. blessed. Fuck off! You scammed it. I also like that this also carried on the proud tradition of Jessica winning something that was for the school. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <It's like, laughs> oh, last time she won French lessons, and she wasn't bothered about this time. She won a computer for the school. Won't you feel great, Jessica, watching the ki- all the all the other um, the kids using the computer that you won? No, yeah, you don't know me at all, <laughs> do you, Miss Honest? <laughs> oh, so there was this weird little side thing uh, when they're before they've done their presentation in the class, where the unicorn group, uh, I think Lila's yeah. group, won't mention what they're doing yeah. like it's some big secret, and then they act all weird and unhappy after they see Jessica and Mandy's, and not just because of that purple tennis shoe unicorn joke it's like i definitely thought that they were going to have also been doing some sort of act like that not as good obviously but that's what i expected and then that's not what happened i'm very confused as to what the big deal was over that yeah it did seem to be shoehorned in didn't it it was like it felt like it was a a subplot that they didn't bother exploring or they forgot about yes as writers so yeah what were you gonna say i was just gonna say uh right let me think 
because what they actually did was a book report, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Have we yeah. had the book where Jessica plans? I don't think we have actually. Jessica plans to work with Lila on a report, and they decide. And even before they're paired up, they plan to do the report on rainbows because it'll look pretty. And Jessica actually gets paired with someone else. So Lila gets paired with Ellen and they do their report on rainbows. Yes, we have had that one. That's where she where, where, where um she was paired with Randy and they did the moss thing or the mould thing. Yeah, yeah. So I wondered like oh. if it was that. They did mould and it was yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um yeah, because that was really early on actually, wasn't it, come to think of it. Yeah. And what, wasn't it that was the bully Winston. one? It was Winston. Winston. It was Winston. Yeah, it wasn't Randy. It was Winston. Wasn't that? It wasn't that one in the bully one. No, in, in the bully, it, was, it was taking charge. You know when Patrick Morris ran away because his parents wouldn't let him play sexy oh, tunes. Go to your room. <laughs> yes, sexy <laughs> instruments with the, with the saxophone. Yes, I was thinking of sexy tunes like Eddie Izzard and Mrs. Bad Crumble. <laughs> There's a timely well, reference, I'll, listeners. Well, I, well, to be fair, I always think of. Uh, the topless bloke in Lost Boys, whenever I think Patrick Morris <laughs> behind the shed, I still believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe it was like harking back to that, or maybe it's just an old plot device that Lila will quite often be paired with Ellen and act like she's doing something really cool, and in fact, it's just really mediocre and lazy. Why unicorns are the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> that would have made more sense to me than what they did or her throwing money at things like something that was the issue there was no payoff to the setup even if the payoff was as you were suggesting dove the payoff is oh their thing is just about sparkles yeah you know and it's a bit shit it wasn't even that it was just like it wasn't comedy shit it was just what we it felt like we didn't we don't know what how to resolve what we've set up in this bit so yeah. we'll just yeah We'll just not mention Actually, it. Actually, that's something I'd love to see for characterization of the unicorns. Like, I don't know if you guys have know people like this. You probably do. You're both in fandom in one way or another. There's always that one person that you run into in fandom, whether it's in real life or online, who just gets totally obsessed with one thing to the point where it excludes everything else. Like, if Guns N' Roses is their favourite uh, band in the world then Axl Rose is their favourite actor, you know, because he's acting when he does music videos. And Del James is their favourite author of all time because of that one time he wrote about Axl Rose. <laughs> and their favourite programme is X-Files because of that one time that Duff McKagan was in it. And I know all of this detail makes you look at me going, Dove, stop describing yourself. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, no, you have other interests, though, obviously. Yeah. And- Dove likes both kinds of music, guns and roses. <laughs> But wouldn't it be awesome if there was one unicorn who was always trying to shoehorn unicorns into everything? So, oh, we're doing a project about the 1940s. And they're sort of like, yeah, I'm going to do my project about how people in the 1940s believed in unicorns and worship the color purple. (laughs) I just think that would be fun. Like, Wouldn't it be cute if Ellen was that person? Because she's kind of got that Mm. stupid vibe about her. For sure. No, Unless she's I, in the I, I take your point. I, I I think that the unicorns are basically like that anyway. <laughs> to be honest, I think that's you just described them to a <laughs> T. Uh, I don't think it should be Ellen because I just like Ellen being floaty and passive, <laughs> just you know, just like not getting involved. 
Again, unless she's in the stables where she's an asshole. But I love bitch, her. Yeah. I hate her. Right, Whatever I think of Ellen, I always, I always, I always picture her being, you know, like the um, the kid in the Monty Python sketch from Holy Grail, where the the, the Baron showing his son, who's obviously dim, so so to the window and going, look. Here you go, son. All oh, this will be yours. And the son goes, what the curtains? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, like spectacularly missing the point. <laughs> and that's, the, uh, yeah, the, Ellen always makes me think of that. Yeah, I can see that. Marvellous. So, so overall, we enjoyed this book then. Is that a fair, a fair assessment? Yes. Oh, yeah. I really liked it. Marvellous. Yeah. Is there anything anyone else wants to say before we move on to Bleak Valley? I think there was, but I got sidetracked with my obsessive, um, yeah. Your guns and roses stick there stick there yeah i swear to god that's not actually me i remember like joining a guns and roses fan forum uh or not yeah. fan forum but joined a group on live journal and there was actually someone who had listed axel rose as their favorite actor and del james as their favorite author and then added that they'd never actually read anything by del james and i was like oh you 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 precious thing you and ever since then i've just kind of been like well at least i'm not that person <laughs> Do you reckon that was actually a puppet account by Axel Rose? <laughs> well, now I believe that. Well, it was always late. One thing I did want to say that I completely forgot about earlier, that when we talk about how Mandy's the only one who will work with Jessica, I loved how she was so nice about it in the beginning. Mm. Like She tells Jessica, I wanted to work with you. I you know, jumped ahead and said I wouldn't work with anyone else and all of this. And then Elizabeth, her twin, is like, yeah, fuck you. Nobody wants to work with you. And then when Mandy's starting to get upset with Jessica, that's one of the things she throws out there. And then she's sorry about it. Like Their fight is actually resolved. And that so rarely happens in a way that feels believable. I love that part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you guys think about this, but uh, the bit where uh, Jessica was sitting on the beach feeling really confused after finding out that Mandy had cancer and feeling really guilty because um, Mandy found out she had cancer. Aside from all the other symptoms, uh, basically they'd played tug of war with a feather boa and it had comedy snapped in the middle and they'd both gone flying off in different directions. And Mandy had noticed that she'd got a lump under her armpit. And Jessica, on finding out that she had cancer and that lump was cancerous, Jessica was having all sorts of guilty, shame spirally feelings, thinking, oh, well, if I hadn't fought over that boa, she wouldn't have had the lump and I gave her cancer. And actually, St. Brooke, who Wing adores very much, is the one to uh, put her right and sort of say, no, cancer causes a lump, not is caused by And I, I do remember at the time I read this, I was like, surely everyone knows that. but retrospectively i'm guessing that not many people did um especially with wing sort of enlightening me about how little science is involved in in american science lessons because they have jesus which is better exactly true jesus saves us all jesus is everything we need yeah i definitely could see her not knowing how that works both because there's not a ton of even in really hardcore science classes it was never around that sort of stuff we would learn like chemical equations and here's experiments it wasn't necessarily around health issues like that Uh, but also she's so sheltered I could definitely see her fear like that felt like a really realistic thing for her to be worrying about also even though I know that Mandy's far too young for it uh, even like late teen years would be very young the lump uh, 
kind of in the armpit along the side where she's hurt her ribs and that's how she finds the lump definitely made me go straight to breast cancer. So I was actually very relieved it was not breast cancer. Yeah, I thought they tackled the cancer well because obviously they had Mandy coming over with the with the matter-of-fact description of what was happening to her and stuff. And then they had Jessica losing her shit over what she thought and Brooke being the calming voice. And I thought it was it, it, that kind of thing can be a very special episode preachy mm-hmm. but it was handled well i thought i thought it was yeah it was some of the things like dove says did feel like well these are ridiculous people know this but you've got to sort of pitch this at the bottom end you know what i mean you you, you don't just go in and and well we, we assume that you all know that the you know hodgkin's lymphoma and all this blah blah you've got to picture it uh, you know you know it's cancer bad you know what i mean yeah. just start off with that so and yeah i thought it was tackled really well as i said when i read it as a tween i was kind of like oh my god like literally everybody knows this about the lump and then when i was about 20 24 raven when you and i were working at that same place that sucked um all of the women just want to put this out there all of the women were invited to a talk about cancer and by invited i mean were demanded during our lunch hour that we must go and we had no choice in the matter the men didn't have to just want to put that out there and basically a dude on the stage uh used the metaphor that um by making healthy choices throughout your life it's effectively slamming a door where cancer could get in and it was a very simple metaphor like if you are a non-smoker and um, you are making an effort to close a door where cancer could get in. Now, you still could get lung cancer, but you are closing a door where it could have got through. And he explained it incredibly simply. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Why have you been saying this for 45 minutes? And then everyone's hands went up. I was like, I don't smoke. But I do like a glass of wine. How many other doors do I need to close so that I can keep drinking my wine? Wow. And these are fucking lawyers and legal support. And I'm like, you people have been to university. I dropped out when I was 15. Why do you not know what the fuck a metaphor is? (laughs) First of all, that's (laughs) hilarious. I do like that. Uh, To tie it back to this book, also, whatever the age of the characters especially with young adult and preteen and kids fic, you usually have to expect the bulk of the readers to be a couple years younger. Yes. So we're yeah. really looking at eight, nine, 10 year olds who even more than 12 and 13 year olds may not know that you can't cause cancer by doing that. Like there are definitely kids that when something happens at school, they think that, well, can you catch cancer? Like these are real questions and maybe all of that goes to the U S system being shit, but that felt really realistic to me, like her concerns over it and her not knowing what came first. And also Brooke being so kind about it. Like, I feel like Elizabeth would have been a little shittier in her explanation or at least pious about it. And Brooke's just very chill over it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I'm just like wondering where where I learned about cancer from, because I clearly seem to know a lot about it. But my my dad did die 
from cancer when I was nine. But I only found out it was cancer when I was about 13 or 14 because my family lied to me because they thought saying cancer would upset me too much. So instead, I was convinced he had some kind of bug that nobody knew about that I could catch at any time and die, which is far healthier. That sounds much more reasonable and easy to survive. Exactly. So when they said it's cancer, I was like, oh, thank fuck for that. I know what cancer is. Fuck. Right. Jesus Christ, you know how tense I've been for the past five fucking years. Um, Did you learn it from these books that we talked about earlier, the Lurleen McDaniel or whatever? I don't think so, because they were all incredibly flowery. And also, um, I seem to be given a lot of books about bee stings. It was the whole, it was the prelude to My Girl. It just just when everyone got the hang of like, oh, bee stings can kill you. And everyone went, oh, I'm fucking right in that. Get me Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but yeah, so, I don't think there was much facts in that. I think it was all sort of like emotion and we had to okay. be proud of this this 14-year-old girl who was dying, but she was doing it with a brave smile on her face. Raven, would it have been likely to have been like TV shows, like soaps and stuff? Because ours tend to be a bit more gritty than than American hmm. soaps. Yeah, maybe... They've kind of Maybe. got a working class sensibility, like whereas, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously I've not sat down and scrolled through everything that America has to offer, but, well, of course, yeah. you know, the stuff that's sort of made, I'm made aware of seems to be a bit more glitzy and middle class, whereas ours seems to not have much budget. So it's kind of stuck on working class. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's fair. Yeah. To kind of aside, touch on that beasting being a thing that was appearing a lot in that time. So has there been a thread of all these books about kids dying from peanut allergies? Like, is that something that continues anytime some sort of new allergy really takes public consciousness? Is there been a run of books about it? Because I don't know that I've heard of a bunch of books about nut allergies or gluten allergies or whatever, but that's definitely stuff that's that similarly to the bee allergies is in the front of uh, culture at the, for at least for a while, cultural awareness. But yeah, I guess it maybe doesn't translate into books anymore. Yeah. By the way, dear hipsters, my aunt's been uh, diagnosed as celiac since I'd say about 1982. So she was gluten-free way before you. Doesn't that make her the hipster? Yeah, totes does, but it completely undermines <laughs> their hipsterness, doesn't it? Well, that's fair. Good point. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out whether like there was peanut or gluten or whatever yeah. as, as the surge. There was a house episode gluten was what killed something, but um Was there? Okay. Yeah, but it but with house it's all the sort of like how done it rather than a very special right. episode on why gluten is, is Satan. Ostrich went through that whole series, so I've seen episodes here and there. I don't always sit down and watch with him. Uh, and it's always very interesting to see how they solve it. But occasionally, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I can't take any more of these far-fetched. Oh, my God, this one little thing. So, but that's a side off the point. I actually <laughs> diagnosed one correctly. What? Wh which one? The hip replacement one. Duh. Oh, duh. Yeah, I should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, obviously, she was allergic to a hip replacement. Sure. That's one out of like the entire six seasons or whatever it was. <laughs> nice. Right. Okay. Shall we move on? Yes. Let's move on. Yes. Okay. Bleak Valley. Bleak Valley indeed.
which is unfortunate because I don't have anything. I know this is a thing that we say and usually it then pops out, but this is just too... I mean, the cancer seems like the easy thing to say about it, but I don't even know how that really ties in because it's not like Elizabeth has friends who... Like, Bleak Valley Elizabeth has friends who could be getting cancer. And if Alice or Ned or the step-sibling have cancer, they're not going to really tell Elizabeth about it. So I really have nothing. It's just too fun a story. I don't want to make it bleak. Well, what about she actually thinks she has cancer? Because she doesn't really know what it is. Let's go back to my girl again. There's a bit where Vader comes screaming out of the bathroom going, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm hemorrhaging. Because nobody's explained periods to her. And possibly, I mean, Sweet Valley time is a thing. And if if, if we need to employ it, fuck we will. Yes, of course we will. <laughs> we have had to put up with like three Christmases so far. So yeah, if I want this book to sit right next to number 42, it will. So yeah, what if she just thinks she's she's dying? Like she's heard cancer bandied about. She's got no idea what it is. But, you know, this mysterious thing is happening to her body and she just assumes she's dying. So she starts her period. The blood makes her think she's dying. And the thing that she hears is, you know, cancer. Cancer is a scary word that she would hear in pop culture, whatever she's exposed to. I could see that. Yeah. Didn't we just have a book on periods? That's what, yeah, that's what she's tying it back to. That's what I'm saying. I'm also saying we can employ Sweet Valley time. Like I've hit the reset and moved it closer to Jessica's secret than it originally was. About time we made something work for us, Sweet Valley time-wise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say maybe she thinks that she's, I wouldn't have turned it back to the period, but maybe she does think she's got cancer from... Something she's seen on TV. Maybe she's, you know, saw through the keyhole um, an episode of House or something like that. But then again, it'd be lupus then, I guess. It's never lupus. It's no. never lupus. Maybe another thing I thought is maybe without without making Elizabeth ill, is that maybe she just, she asked them for something to read and they just got some, they were like, you know, at, they were at the local clinic or something to to, I don't know, to collect some STD medicine or whatever, or some <laughs> me- methadone or whatever, whatever oh they need God, to... Oh my God, this yeah. is amazing. And they just got some pamphlets. Ned dropping off some sperm. Yes. Sperm dollars. No, 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 just in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> just jizzing against the wall for the fun of it. Yeah, and maybe they just got some pamphlets or something and just went here and pushed those through the door. So she's been reading about cancer or something in one of these pamphlets. And that's why she, maybe there was a Q&A in the pamphlet. Can you get, if you, you know, can you get cancer by bumping your head and getting a lump? No, no, no. The lump is caused by the cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why, so that's why. And there's pictures of people like getting their head shaved or something. So she creates Mandy who's got this luscious hair. And, you know, maybe it's something as simple as that, which isn't, isn't particularly bleak. Right. It's not having her dying of cancer and... Well, I didn't actually give her cancer. I just said right. she thought yeah, she might course, have yeah. it or... Yeah. The only thing I'd say about that is I wonder how she would know what cancer was. I'm assuming she's a kid... Like, Alice quite often passes out in front of, like, the type of shit programs that are on at 3pm that are always high drama. Um, mm. Doctors. Well, 
yeah, I, I, I don't know if America has the same kind of thing, but I know that TV is generally shit and high drama at about that point, at that point in the day. Like very high glamorous depictions of cancer probably were a soap opera thing. So she very well could have gotten it from that or various things like that TV. I don't. So I think some of the TV talk shows weren't really a thing so much at this point. But if she hears enough TV in passing, I could see her picking up something just to know the word is bad. Whether she knows what it actually is, just that it's a bad thing that you die from. It would be the enough to make this happen. When I was very young, um, the AIDS adverts were on. I don't know if you remember these, uh, Raven, but yeah. they were oh, yeah. very, very scary. It was just like monochrome. Gravestones and stuff. Gra- and yeah. yeah, a gravestone that spells the word AIDS. And then it just, and like each letter slams down, like, and it, it just like... Don't this, die of ignorance. Yeah, this heavy impact sound and Holy don't shit. die of Im- ignorance overlays it. And of course, I was about three or four, maybe even up to five at this time. And I was terrified of it because like, I didn't know what ignorance was and I was worried I was going to catch it. So I asked my mum and she was like, oh, it means of not knowing. And I was like, well, that's fine. I'll just keep knowing stuff. And, you know, apparently I just tootled off, like, now that I knew what ignorance was, I knew how to avoid it, uh, which was an interesting take for the likes of me. But um, apparently, yeah, ignorance didn't scare me anymore. But I didn't understand what AIDS was, but I knew it was terrifying and it could kill you and you could catch it by being stupid. (laughs) The only thing I'd say about Elizabeth not knowing what cancer is bleak Elizabeth not knowing what cancer is and just hearing the word and making associations is that this book has some very very almost technical talk about the cancer about the Hodgkin's lymphoma and and, and stuff like that it's got something that the the, the the belies a little more knowledge than the basic I've heard this word in passing and it's a bad thing I was just thinking like um sometimes when wing and I are writing we just stick something in square brackets like weather report goes here come back to this once we've worked out what kind of clouds we want and whether like elizabeth is mentally just putting that in square brackets like cancer bit goes here and the book fills itself out i don't know quite how i like that idea actually that's very ghostwriter i was thinking that they do i guess give her things not things to play with necessarily but like cast offs so i could see her having some sort of old encyclopedias or something to access because they would have been like having encyclopedia sets, physical copies was a thing and for very cheap. So that's kind of what I would hand wave it as. Like, I think this is just a hard one to bleak Valley. Like I said, because it does have actual real information that bleak Valley Elizabeth wouldn't uh, have access to, or even think about finding access to. But if one of the things that they've given her are these old, outdated encyclopedias, she very well may have that kind of information at hand. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. I had to check because I definitely do not remember AIDS ads here. And it looks like they weren't, of course, as big a thing here. But we did have some, uh, at least as, as early as 1987. Well, you guys weren't having sex, so it was fine. Jesus says no to sex. Yes, hold on. I have the exact quote that talks about it. The ad, so specifically this thing I found is about when they finally started airing condom ads because condom ads were banned up until this point. And it opens with, at first, only gays and IV drug users were being killed by AIDS. So yeah, that's 
that was the opening to this commercial about keeping yourself safe for maids. Wow. America. Your country is so just... Completely fucked. Bad. I'm sorry. No, don't be. It's terrible. It's filled with, like, a few people that I love, but overall, just philosophically and morally, it's just... It makes a lot of bad choices. And a lot... I mean, that stigma hasn't really lifted i mean it's better but that stigma really still exists in a lot of communities and it it's really horrific how far we have not come in 20 30 40 50 years depending on what you're talking about yeah because i was like thinking back to our aids adverts like they weren't i mean like i said i was very young at the time so possibly i'm only remembering the headline which is aids don't die of ignorance but i don't I think they were equal opportunity ads. I don't think it mentioned gender, drug use, sexual preference. You know, it was just, you having sex, you could die. Put a Johnny on. I still think in a lot of places, even today, there is this belief that AIDS is something that only, quote unquote, bad people get, the gays or drug users and stuff like that. Like that thinking still permeates. And in reading this article that I pulled up to check about the ads, whether we had them or not, Uh, It looks like in the early 1980s, the majority of the outreach was just don't have sex, which makes perfect sense to me. Like, abstinence is the only way to not get AIDS. Wow. I like telling Dove and Raven this kind of stuff because they give me such incredulous looks. And while I hate that this is how it is here, I do love their reactions to it. It's, It's just weird. It's like, I admit, like, governments are usually shady as fuck and, you know, you really just know that all your money is in the Cayman Islands in their accounts. But fundamentally, the government has a responsibility to tell you the truth and not sort of just give you a skewed sense like, oh, don't worry, you won't die. It's the gays. They're they're going first. But Dove, abstinence is the truth. It's the only truth and the only way. Yeah, but your country's kind of like the five-year-old who's going, ew, a penis. Don't do that. Nice girls don't do that. In public, yes. And then in private, everybody's fucking because that's what people do. It's weird. It is very weird. I mean, I don't disagree. It's fucked up. It's terrible. And it's not, I mean, it is better, but it's not better enough that we're not still a weird country with a whole bunch of puritanical hangups. But yeah. Also, you have a sizable chunk of people who think that we just like live in slums with no go areas for whites, thanks to uh, good old <laughs> Trump explaining that Birmingham is a ghetto. It's very true. I mean, we also have a chunk of people who think the earth is flat. So, you know, we have all kinds. Yeah, but did you see the tweet where the flat earthers were saying we span the globe and the entire <laughs> internet dogpiled on them going, rethink that sentence oh my god no i did not see that but that is hilarious i love that that's a delight (laughs) we span the globe yeah do you now you know what globe is round right (laughs) okay do you think we've tackled bleak valley for another week well since we discussed aids even yeah i think we did something bleak (laughs) yeah not particularly bleak for for elizabeth this time but uh Fringing, uh, on the fringes of being bleak, I'd suggest. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I think we enjoyed this one too much, so we weren't willing to bleak it. It's harder. Yeah, because usually at this point you wade in and go, well, I don't mean to like ruin anyone's day, but here, how about this theory that's just going to make you go home and cry in the bar for six hours? (laughs) Well, I I think this one, I think because 
there's bleak things in it. Obviously, the the, the main story is quite bleak, but Mandy uh, Mandy just deals with it with such a plum and verve that you don't want to bleak it up. You know right. what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just yeah. Yeah, you just want to give her an A plus for being cheerful and not bring her down by yeah, yeah. for the mood that she avoided. I mean, what if exactly. you said earlier that it definitely could have been that sort of special episode about cancer and it, it's not it avoids that and i think it's hard to then bleak valley almost feels like taking it to that very special episode yeah uh, as yeah. opposed to the good story that it is so yeah i think that's why i didn't really want to do it okay well all that remains then is to give the book our ratings for the week all right uh, the ratings are um uh they all come with specific hand gestures, which one day we'll do a Patreon and we'll unlock those hand gestures for the world to see. But at the moment, the ratings are stupendous. Good. Meh. Bad. Kill it with fire. I like that one so much. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, rate this book as good. I would probably say a mid-good. Even a high-good. But a mid-good, I think. I'll go for a mid-good. Mandy was a delight. Jessica was wonderful. The unicorns were logis- uh, um, the unicorns were logically consistent. And dicks. And nice. And the, the, the faculty of Sweet Valley Middle was shit. Yeah. And the only thing that I didn't like was the fact that Elizabeth and Jessica won first and second place in this statewide, if not wider, contest. That was the only thing that brought this down. Um but yeah, it was it was it was a tricky subject matter, dealt well, dealt with well, and it gave us a character that I will enjoy reading for many books to come, I hope. So yes. Raven's view, mid good. What about you, Dove? I will also give it a good. In fact, I'd probably give it a high good because it comes on the back of, what's it called? Jessica's new look, which was so genuinely awful. Anything even mediocre would be such a step up. But this had the lovely Mandy Miller, who I love. And she was just a badass. So... I thought the A plot and the B plot really worked well together. Like they dovetailed nicely and I just got to use a word with my name in it. So that's always, <laughs> nice that's always a plus, isn't it? Very subtle. You're Tails, are you? <laughs> I'm Sonic. That's fine. Yeah. I thought Mandy Miller was awesome. I thought it was well written. I liked the unicorns flocking onto cancer as cool as their motivation Rather than, oh, I feel terrible. I've had a moral change of heart. I'm I'm just so much a better person now, or at least I am for the next 30 pages until the next book kicks in. Just, yeah, it was well executed. It was a good story. Everything good. High good. Nice. Uh, I really want to give it a low stupendous, but I feel like I shouldn't break another book at that level any time soon like it's not on the same level as the carnival ghost but i really liked this so i'm kind of torn i guess i'm going to settle on a very high good very 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 high good because i don't really want to start throwing around stupendous like it's some easy right to hit 
So yeah, very high good. I loved Mandy. I loved Brooke. I loved Jessica. I loved the unicorns. I didn't hate Elizabeth, though Raven has made a really good point about the whole ridiculousness of them winning first and second place. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed this book. Wow. Fantastic. So very high marks all across the board. Yeah. So yeah, another one that's been hit out of the park by Team Grapplegate. Which is great, because we had a couple that were not not so fun. Yes. <laughs> we didn't all hate yes. them the way that Dove did uh, Jessica's well done, new look. Team but... Grapplegate, you are no longer shit. <laughs> <laughs> You've come back around. <laughs> yes. Good job. Yes. They can't all be zingers. So yeah, it's good to see that they're back on form. Yeah, I yeah. had a good time. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, that's what we thought of Mandy Miller's Fights Back. And yeah, it was a, a good book, well written, well received, and let's hope there's many more to come. So thank you listeners for listening, and we shall speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Sweet Valley Online podcast for book number 48, Mandy Miller Fights Back, recorded on the 3rd of May, 2018. You can access all our past recaps and podcasts at sweetvalley.online, a member of nostalgicbookshelf.com network. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash sweetvalleyonline or Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Our music is supplied by Stuart Taylor. He can be contacted at taylorstuart602 at gmail.com for all your own musical needs. We can be found on Twitter under sweetvalley underscore devil's elbow pod and bookshelf underscore raven next week we'll be talking about sweet valley twins number 49 the twins little sister be sure to join us then until then may you face your tumor with good humor <laughs>